be transparent with you and just a little self-deprecating and just mock myself for a little this morning. You okay with that? This isn't, that, not that. that. Not that. So, I think it was, it was either late Thursday or early Friday. I'm, I'm working on my sermon. And I have a theme in mind. And so I'm thinking of what's the best verse that I can think of to do this sermon for this Sunday. And so I remembered one. And I thought, oh, that's great. I, I remember God said that about Israel. What a great, great sermon text. And I'm thinking, so I'm excited now, right? Pastors get excited about sermon texts. I'm excited about that. I'm thinking, I'm going to have this great sermon text to preach the theme that I want to talk about this Sunday. And so I'm starting to put the slide presentation together, and I'm thinking about the theme, and I'm starting to pull things together. I'm taking notes. I'm writing stuff down. And then I'm reading the text and I'm like, now you got to realize I'm more than an hour into this. Like this isn't two minutes later. Like I'm more than an hour into this. And I'm reading the text and I'm realizing God didn't say that about Israel. God said that about Pharaoh. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure I want the church to think like Pharaoh. And so... I started to read, and, and so just so you know, so I, I can fill this out for you, if you turn to Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, there's a wonderful, wonderful text about understanding the purpose of God. Unfortunately, it was said to Pharaoh that even in the midst of his rebellion and in the midst of all of the bad things that he did, that God was using him to fulfill his purposes. Oops on me. So thankfully, I figured that out Friday after about an hour or so, and that's not the text today. But I want you to read the text anyways and just ask yourself how that could have worked out for you this Sunday. You would have walked out saying, why, why, does, why does Pastor think that we're such bad people? Like, and why does he think all of our bad deeds are somehow bringing glory to God? And I probably would have had lots of meetings this week. Not good. Genesis 37. I'm going to go there. Genesis 45 is where the text is from. I'm just going to read a little bit from Genesis 37. So you could go to Genesis 37 and look at that if you want for a minute, or you can just jump up to Genesis 45. The story is about Joseph. How many of you are familiar with the story of Joseph? And, and please raise your hands. I know pastors ask you to do that all the time, and it just bugs you. Yeah. So a lot of you. So let me give a little bit of background, because the vast majority of you know the story, but of course that's not important, that's just the vast majority of you know, you all need to know something a little bit about this. Israel starts off from the Old Testament person that we know as Abram, or Abraham. He is the guy that God creates an agreement, or a contract, or what we would call in the Bible, covenant with him. And he says to Abram, look, I want you to leave your family, your place. I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. And I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you into a people. So Abram does that, and uh, time goes on, and Abram has a, Abraham and Sarah have a son called Isaac. And then Isaac eventually has a family, and, and that's Jacob. And then Jacob has a whole bunch of kids. And one of these kids is, is called Joseph. And you, you read about this in Joseph, uh, in, pardon me, in Genesis chapter 37. Let me begin in verse 2. 
This is the account of Jacob. So this is Joseph's father. This is the grandson of Abraham. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, in the land of Canaan. And this is his account. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Common in those days for wealthy men to have a number of wives. Jacob did lots of kids. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So one, one child from one part of the family brought a bad report about, you know, uh, some of the rest of the siblings from the other parts of the family. Now it says in verse 3 in the NIV, now Israel. Israel's another name for Jacob. Jacob eventually becomes Israel, he who struggles with God, and he who struggles and, and overcomes. So verse 3 of Genesis 37, now Israel, meaning Jacob, it says that Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him a richly ornamented robe for him, right? The coat of many colors. Most of you, again, are familiar with that. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, the fact that he made, he made them uh, Joseph something special, it says here that they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. So they're mad. Jacob, their father, has uh, made a preference choice here that he loves Joseph more than the rest. He had a coat of many colors given to him, symbolizing his, you know, his dominance over the rest of them, and they hate him. They hate him so much that they can't even talk to him. Ever felt that strongly about somebody? I mean, when you get to the point where you can't even say a kind word to somebody, you've probably got some pretty strong emotions that says that, that he couldn't even, they couldn't even say a kind word to him. So, not off to a great start. Verse 5, And Joseph had a dream, and when he had told it to his brothers, they hated them all the more. This is why. Verse 6, He said to them, Listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And so the brothers knew what this meant. They understood what this dream meant. They didn't think he had too much pizza or anything like that. They understood that there was a message here. The, this generation knew that God sometimes spoke to people through dreams. These weren't just, you know, people's own desires and aberrations and stuff like that. That God could do this. This was common. So his brother said in verse 8, Do you intend to reign over us? Right? Their sheaves were, were bowing down to Joseph's. Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of the dream that he had. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, right? The sun, moon, and 11 stars, and this is adding up to the number of people in his family. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. Even his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this matter in mind. So here's the stage that we have. We have a brother that's been elevated in status by his dad. We have a brother that has had two dreams that are from God telling him that one day that not only is he going to rule over his siblings, but he's also even going to rule over his parents, which again, culturally, in that day and time, that didn't happen. The patriarch of the family, Jacob in this case, later named Israel, Jacob in this case would be the lord and master and ruler over his family. A child would never come up to usurp that. 
So for Joseph to have this dream and then share this dream with his dad, it would have been, in a sense, almost blasphemous. Like, you can't say and do stuff like that. This is outrageous. This is, this is really getting out of the order of how, you know, uh, Mideastern families in those days were structured. But we also know that as, as ticked off as Jacob is about this dream, the Bible tells us but that he, he thought about this, right? He kept this matter in mind, in verse 11 it says. So the story continues, and I do have to give you some of the background. The story continues. So the brothers hate Joseph, and they want to get rid of him. And I'm going to speed this up, right? So this is like I've got your DVD now. Or you're digital, and I'm hitting fast forward, right? We're, we're moving this ahead for you. The brothers hate Joseph, and they, they want to get rid of him. And so they plot to kill him. One of the older brothers says, we can't do that. So instead of killing him, they sell him to the Midianites, to a group of travelers going through the area. Eventually, the Midianites take Joseph, and they sell him to a guy named Potiphar, an Egyptian. And he works in, in Potiphar's house for a while until his wife, Potiphar's wife, makes advances on him. He flees the advances. The wife knows that she's in trouble. So she tells her husband that Joseph made advances on her, that he tried to sexually assault her. Joseph then is taken out of that home as the, you know, the, the chief servant and he is thrown in jail, and there in jail, again, fast forward, he's there for a while, and he does some great things, he interprets some dreams, the dreams come true, sometimes the dreams, the results aren't great, but they come true, sometimes the dreams are good, they come true, and he says to the guy that was delivered from prison, he says, remember me, when you get out, tell them about me, get me out of here, and he forgets, and so he rots in prison some more as a young man. Now, remember this. He hasn't done anything illegal. He hasn't done anything criminal. But he's almost been killed by his brothers. He's been sold as a slave once, sold as a slave second time, accused of sexual assault, wrongly accused of sexual assault, and then left in prison for a number of years for things that he didn't do. Now, if that were you, I'm assuming, if that were you, you'd be a little annoyed by this time. Finally, Pharaoh has some disturbing dreams, and the one guy that got released from prison remembers, oh, gee, I know a guy. I know a guy. I know a guy that interprets dreams. Pharaoh, let's get this guy, and he will interpret dreams. And so there's a significant dream that Pharaoh has that there's this, this cow that has, you know, it's big and fat, and, and it has seven years of prosperity, but then there's another lean, mangy cow that kind of comes along and eats that cow, and there's seven years of famine. So they figure this out, that what this means for Egypt is there's going to be seven years where they're going to be able to harvest really well, and then there's going to be a seven-year famine, and they need to get ready for this. So Joseph is the guy that God uses to do all of that stuff. But you know that from the beginning in Genesis 37 to kind of as this wraps up in and around Genesis 50, there's a lot of bad things that happen in the middle. And one of the things that Joseph is struggling with is trying to find out why this is happening. What's his purpose in life? Why is this going on? And I think that's a question that's common, or those are questions that are common to all of us. Why, why am I here? What's my purpose? And then also through the milieu of life, 
why are these things happening to me? Now, we seldom ask why the good things are happening to us. It's just like, well, of course they're happening to me. Look at me. Right? God looks down on us and he says, to know you is to love you. So he wants to bless you. But when the bad things happen, we're kind of like, hey, God, what's going on? And what you're going to see in Joseph's life is that there's a lot more bad initially that goes on. And it doesn't just go on for a couple of weeks or a few months. It goes on for, the, you know, for a span of his life, a decade or more, that all of these negative things seem to be happening to him. So I do have the Mark Twain quote up. At least it's attributed to Mark Twain. The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Now, let's just for those of you that are far more spiritual than Mark Twain, I realize that probably the day you're born again is a significant day too. But let's just work with Mark for a while. He's dead and gone and we don't want to offend him, okay? The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. That finding out why isn't about finding significance. Although I think that we do find significance, and I think that's important to us. But we're not going to use significance in life as, as something that perhaps would come an idol to us. That would perhaps, you know, challenge us to maintain a Christ-like, humble, modest lifestyle and attitude towards ourselves and to others. Genesis 45. Joseph has the aha moment here. Let me begin. And now, do not be distressed. God is saying this to him, to Joseph. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Oh, pardon me, Joseph is saying this to his brothers. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. There's the aha moment. There's the purpose. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Now, this is years in the making. Again, as I said earlier, this didn't happen in a few weeks or a few months. But through him being you know, sold to the Midianites by his brothers, sold to Potiphar, tossed into prison, kind of rots in prison for a while, to being released. Through the years, through the years, he has had opportunity to kind of deal with each thing as it's been coming his way. But, but it, it only really coalesces here in Genesis 50. Through all of the chapters, and Joseph's story takes us from Genesis 37 and then jumps to 39 and then up to the end of Genesis. Through all of that, you see the struggle that Joseph has trying to figure out why all of the bad things are happening to him and wondering why he seems to be forgotten and that all of this is unfair because he really didn't do anything wrong in the first place. And it just seems to be, in a sense, more than he, his soul can bear. And it seems to be that he's reaping bad things far more than he ever sowed. And it just doesn't seem just and fair. 
But finally, in the second year of the seven-year famine, not in the first year, but in the second year, he finally recognizes with his brothers that have come to Egypt to get some food in order to, to live because they're dying in Canaan. He finally recognizes when he sees his brothers that, you know what, God put me here to save people. And in that moment, or in those moments, in a sense, it's like balm. It's like oil that heals the wounds of his heart and his soul, of all the negative stuff that's happened to him, because he has that moment where he finally understands, ah, there was a greater purpose in all of this. And there was a greater purpose for me. And now it all makes sense. Now that's wonderful, but for you and I, we kind of live it out like Joseph. This happened thousands of years ago. We know the whole story. We know how it ends. Your story is still being written, right? If you're a 50-chapter book, you might be on chapter 12. You might be on chapter 30. Let me pick on somebody. I'm looking for a chapter 48. (laughs) The book isn't written yet. It's not completed. But you and I are going through some of the same things. Now, not identical things, but some of the the life tragedies, some of the life struggles that Joseph went through. I I realize you've not been sold twice. And I realize that, you know, you haven't been tossed in jail improperly. You know, that's not most of our stories. You know, that most of our stories aren't perhaps that challenging. Some of our stories might be that challenging, but for the majority of us, that's not our story. But, but all of us have had negative things happen to us. Correct? And we've asked the, why is this happening to me? Hoping that some wise sage will have the answer. And it will be really simple. In fact, you know what? They'll be able to write the answer on, on a piece of paper just like this, you know, hardly bigger than, a, than a, one of those little sticky memo notes. You know, the reason why this happened to you is in three short sentences here. But that's not the way it is, right? Generally, that's, that's not the way it is at all. So what I want to do this morning is, in the time that we have left, is to speak to you about, you know, understanding the things that are happening in your life what God is doing in order to help you sort it out. And, and probably most important, valuing the idea of purpose in your life. So let me start with this. Just in Genesis 37, with Joseph and his two dreams, okay? He seems to have this annoying little habit already where he's watching his siblings work and he's critiquing them and finding that they don't measure up. Now, why he isn't off doing something else constructive, why he isn't doing something that's helping the family, I don't know, but he's one of these just annoying siblings, you may have them, that just kind of make it their business to know everybody else's business. And he's watching his brothers out with the herds, and he doesn't think that they're doing a good job, so he beats it back home. He gets to his dad's tent, and he can't wait to tell Jacob that, you know, his sons aren't doing a good job. We're assuming 
that that information is getting back to the brothers because they don't like him in the first place. And so that's being communicated and they realize that he's the problem. Then, then he, he adds to that the two dreams, the two visions that he has that speak to that his brothers are going to bow down and worship him and that even his mom and dad are going to bow down and worship him. So let me just talk to you a little bit about that for a minute. We believe as Christ followers that God can drop things in our hearts, things for us to do, purpose. Not just a job, not just a task, but purpose. And that God will drop those things in our hearts. I think we can learn something from Joseph as it relates to that. You have to understand this. is Just because God drops something in your heart doesn't mean that God drops something in everybody else's heart. And Joseph's problem here wasn't having the two dreams. God caused him to have those two dreams. Joseph's problem was doing what with the dreams? Sharing them. Sharing them. The dreams were true. It was for a time in the future. But God was getting Joseph's heart ready for that now. He did not say to Joseph, you should tell your brothers about this. You should tell your mom and dad about this. Here's what happened. And I believe this is true. He had such a head. He had such an ego. He was in some ways a bit of a rat telling on his brothers. He had such an elevated opinion of himself that he couldn't wait to run to his brothers. He couldn't wait to run to his mom and dad and say, you know what? One of these days, I'm going to be your Lord. I'm going to be your master. I'm going to rule over you. And he just reveled in that. And he had two of them. So he thought, well, then I should just share that with everybody else. Not thinking for one moment what that might, the impact of that might be on those that are hearing it. It didn't care if he offended them or, 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 or whatever, right? He just didn't care. All he cared about was that God said, I'm going to elevate you. So here's the thing. Here's the thing about dreams. Let me just share this with some of you that maybe God's dropped something in your heart. This is how I would like for you to handle this. This might sound a little strange, but work with me if you don't mind. If God drops something in your heart, he's dropped it in your heart. It's for you. If you take that dream or that whatever it is that God's dropped in your heart and share it with others, hoping that others are going to do this, oh, that's great. You should do that. That's awesome. Oh, God's going to do that for you or through you. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I mean, here's the thing. It wasn't for them. It was for you. God gave it for you. You don't need to share it with someone else so that they'll either say, hey, that was awesome, or like, oh, I don't know about that. Because on the one, if they say, hey, that's awesome, again, you might get a bit of a head like Joseph. If, if somebody says, like Carol, you know negative Carol here, if someone like Carol says, well, I don't think you can do that, I think that's a horrible idea, then all of a sudden, you're mad. You're mad at Carol. You don't need to be mad at Carol. Carol didn't need to know what God dropped in your heart. Ashley and Annette didn't need to know what God dropped in your heart. Joseph, that was for you. Other people aren't ready to hear what God dropped into your heart. It wasn't for them. They're not spiritually prepared. They are not intellectually engaged. They are not wise enough to know that, you know what? That was for them, not for me. And God isn't asking me to sit in judgment on that. 
If Joseph would have just kept his mouth shut, God would have worked all of that out. God would have got Joseph in Egypt, but I don't think necessarily that he would have had to have been sold, sold, imprisoned, and then arrived where he is. Now, I don't know that because I'm not smart enough to know that, but I'm thinking if he had kept his mouth shut, he would have ended up in the same place with a lot less scratches on him. So let me illustrate this in, in, in a different way. Folks, this is not going to end at 12, just so you know. So, so get comfortable. So, oh, there she is. There's my wife. I'm not asking Karen to sing, so it's good. <laughs> a little over a year ago, Karen says to me, when we were up at Spring Bay Camp speaking, she says to me, um, you know, and we're talking, husband and wife, she says, God dropped something in my heart. And I said, oh, what's that? And so she shared it with me, you know, what it was. It wasn't anything in particular. It was a thought. It was a feeling. It was an impression. And if that's too Pentecostal for some of you, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and she recognized that it was for a time, but she didn't know when the season for that would begin. So we've been conversing back and forth over the while because God didn't drop anything in my heart to affirm that or deny that. It didn't drop anything in my heart. So I've been saying to Karen over the last year and a half or so, so what's the Spirit saying to you? What are you feeling about that? And she says, well, she said, I haven't really felt any forward movement in that at all, but I know one thing. I know that a year and a half ago, God spoke to me and said, get ready for this. So that's where we're at, right? That's where we're at with this. But I didn't do this. Hey, Nathan. How you doing? You know, a year and a half ago, God spoke to my wife. What do you think about that? Nathan says, oh, I don't know. I can't believe God spoke to your wife. Right? <laughs> I, I, I go to Lauren, right? And I say, hey, Lauren, guess what? A year and a half ago, God spoke to Karen. She says, oh, that's awesome. I think that's great. I wonder what God's going to do, right? Like, we're, we're not looking to get that validated by anybody. That was God and her. I'm not even looking to validate that. Because God didn't say boo to me about it. And I want you to know, because I'm her husband and I'm the pastor of the church, I'm a little concerned about that. <laughs> because she asked me, she said, well, what do you think? And I said, I have no idea, because God said nothing to me about that. So I'm waiting for God to do something in her heart. And then she's going to tell me. And what I'm hoping it is, it's the right numbers to like the $40 million. <laughs> and I'm out of here. The dream was for Joseph. And he adulterated the dream. He cheapened the dream when he shared it. Because he was hoping to get something from his brothers and his parents. Some flesh reaction. And he cheapened it. And he suffered for it. So let me just say this. Just as a pastoral thing. If God is dropping something in your heart, let it percolate. Let it sit there for a while. Pray about it. Pray over it. If it's just for you, maybe for a while, don't share it with anybody. If you got a significant other, a spouse, fine. But, but don't ask them to sit in judgment on it. Just say, pray about it, because I don't have clarity on this. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work out. Because God dropped it in Joseph's heart. If he wanted the brothers to know about it, 
in a less offensive way, he could have told them. He certainly could have told Jacob. Jacob was a guy that knew how to connect with God. He's got a ladder. And so he didn't do that. He just spoke to Joseph. And Joseph was too young and too spiritually immature to know that that was for him. Let me move on. Still 11.30? Good. You have to understand this about other people, right? Even other people, good people. If, if God hasn't dropped that in their heart, they can't really pass judgment on those things. No point of reference. It's one thing if God has done that, then you could walk up to a guy like Joseph or a girl like Josephine and say, hey, look, you know what? Has God said this to you? Because God said this to me. And then the two of you could converse about it. But I mean, other than that, let God, let God just grow it. Let it be a seed in the ground. Let, it, let him water it. And then you can see what God is about to do. And hopefully in a much less painful way than Joseph did. So let's look at Joseph's overall life through the things that I've talked to you about. He's got this dream. He shares this dream. This dream gets him in all kinds of trouble until finally at the end he is seen at uh, a deliverer. What, what can we kind of learn from some of these things? First of all, don't put your trust in people. He thought if he shared it with his brothers and he shared it with his, his dad, right, that there would be some kind of response that would be helpful to him. Then he gets sold into slavery, and then Potiphar's wife plays the dirty on him. You can understand that Potiphar's going to believe his wife, not his servant, and he gets tossed into jail. He gets forgotten in jail. And through Joseph's life, there's always this. Somebody's let me down. There was somebody that I thought was going to lift me up, and they let me down. Now, that's heartbreaking for all of us, and all of us have experienced that. I think all of us have been there where we've, like, somebody's just, they let us down, right? We just, we thought we would get more from them. We thought that they would behave in a different way, respond in a different way. And those are some of the realities that we have to deal with, even in the body of Christ. The people don't always respond the way that we hope that they would. But what this is supposed to do is, is push Joseph closer to God. That God is the one that takes care of him. That God is the one that provides for him. That God is going to be the one that delivers him. And that he's not looking for that from the arm of flesh. People aren't always bad people, but sometimes people can be forgetful. Sometimes people can be unfaithful. Sometimes people don't understand us. Sometimes people don't come through for us, don't see it the way that we thought that they would see it. That's, in a sense, life. That's life. What is important for us, obviously, and you've heard this said before, is, is, is our response to the negative stuff. Joseph wasn't a bad man. He was young, he was immature, he had gold in his hand, and he didn't know how to treat it with respect. And it does bring heartache on him, but he wasn't a bad man. It reminds us then this, that difficult things, sometimes what we might call bad things, can happen to good people. You know, as, as the Old Testament saying is, it rains on the, the just and the unjust, right? 
And that might be part of the struggle sometimes is why is this happening to me? Um, I deserve better. I'm a Christ follower. God should be protecting me from this. And that doesn't happen sometimes. And we can get frustrated not only with people, but sometimes even with God. We feel like God's letting us down. Why isn't God doing more? So we ask the question, can we trust God? And the answer is yes. Things don't always get straightened out in five seconds or five minutes, but yes, God has a way of straightening out what is crooked. God always has our good in mind. Romans 8 reminds us about that. And we also need to understand this, that the will of God always wins out. Look, folks, if God has desire to bless you, he will. Nothing can stop that. Let me illustrate that quickly from Numbers. When, when, when the Moabites had hired Balaam to curse Israel, every time he tried to curse them, all he could do was what? Bless them. Why? Because God said this, Israel's my people. You can try to curse all you want, but you can't curse my people. And so Balaam said that to those that had hired him out. He said, look, I want to curse them for you. I want to collect. I want to earn my money. But I cannot curse those whom God has designed to bless. Nobody can take something from you. If God has set his seal of blessing on you and wants to bless you and wants to do something, I tell you, people can throw rocks, they can dig holes, they can throw nets, they can throw traps at you. At the end of the day, God's will is going to win out and you are going to be blessed and you are going to be victorious. No person has the power, the ability to steal from you what God has said is yours. Not going to happen. You may think right now at your place of work or where you're at in your family that there's somebody blocking the way to your blessing or the way to you getting ahead, and that's simply not the case. When God says it's going to be there, it's going to be there. If you're looking for an opportunity and you think people are getting in the way of your opportunity, if that's something that God wants you to have, you'll have it. You may get sold into slavery twice. You may get end up in prison. You may get forgotten in prison, but you'll have it. Hallelujah. We just want it the easy way. You can trust him. What can we learn about God in all of this? Write this down. God cares more about others than less about us. God cares more about others than less about us. This is one lesson that you have to realize as a Christ follower. If you want to do something significant for Jesus, God will crush you. Because he wants to make you into the image of his son. And for all of us, we're way too much like the people we are. And so God will crush us. So why is Joseph going through all of this stuff? Because as a young man, he was an annoying, arrogant, outspoken said what he thought guy and God needed to crush that so how did he crush that he humbled him in the cistern in the pit he humbled him at Potiphar's house he humbled him in the prison and finally when he comes through that he begins to bless him and he's got a wife and he's got kids now and God's blessing him but it's finally at the end where he says this God did this to me he sent me ahead for the sparing for the saving of many lives 
we look at we look at Genesis 37 to, to, to 50 and we go, well, this is all about Joseph. No, it's not. It's all about saving Egypt. It's all about saving Jacob because a famine was coming. And if God had not brought Joseph of that through that time and Joseph had not interpreted the dream, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of lives would have been destroyed. And certainly Israel would never have existed. It was because God cared about the nations. God cared about his plan for Israel that he brought Joseph there. It wasn't just to teach Joseph some lessons. That's secondary. We always make what happens to me primary rather than what's God trying to do in me or through me and how is that going to benefit or bless others? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And I used the word crushed, and some of you were probably offended by that. Go to your New and your Old Testaments. And when it talks about Jesus giving his life, it talks about him being crushed. He allowed his son to experience the humiliation of the cross because there was a world to save. And so, as the unwilling priest said, better that one die for the whole nation. That's how God works. This isn't just about Joseph's, and this isn't just about, well, Joseph's a type of Christ. All that's significant and important. I get it, but he's saving millions. And so God looks at it this way. If Joseph's got to go through 10 or 12 years of some tough times in order to save William, millions, in God's mind, that's time well spent. God's looking at your life and my life and saying, I've got purpose for your life, but in order for that purpose to be achieved, I have to make sure that flesh is eradicated in us and that you look and think and sound like Jesus in order to do the things that God wants to do for you, uh, through you. Because if that doesn't happen, you will never want to do what God wants to do. Your flesh will never want to do what God wants to do. Never, never. You can read the stories. You can think, Joseph, oh man, at the end he was the second in command to Pharaoh. Oh, that's wonderful. But the only reason why Joseph got there was because finally Joseph in his flesh was eradicated that it was no longer what Joseph wanted but what God wanted so Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's coming to this this point of climax where he's got to decide whether he's going to go through it and he cries out this nevertheless not my will but thy will be done purpose not my purpose not my way but God's purpose his way and his way folks is often through points of suffering it's the way it is I wish it was easy, easier for you I wish it was easier for me but that's how he forms Christ in us that's how he gets his purpose accomplished to the point where we're like Jesus it's all about him and it's not about me. Let, it, let me wrap it up. It's 11.35. Purpose, purpose for life helps us make sense of the unpredictability and the instability and the uncertainty of life. It's good to sort out what is God trying to do with me and through me. But you don't need to share that with everybody. 
not a medal. Just for as long as it needs to permeate in your heart, let it go there. Eventually, as part of the body, we're probably going to share that. And there might be some action from others gathered around that. But let it permeate. Understanding that I'm here for a reason helps us to go through the tough things because you realize that something good is going to come from this, something greater is going to come from this. And not just a life lesson. We, we sometimes talk trivial about God's lesson. Well, I don't know why I'm going through this, but I guess God's trying to teach me something. When we say it that way, we trivialize it so much. It's like God is just throwing bad things at you because you're immature and need to grow up. No, God's got a plan. He's just not randomly throwing bad things at you and just seeing how you react so you can kind of get a bump and learn, you know, what not to do next time. It's bigger than that. God's purpose helps us to endure the tough times. God's purpose gives us a reason for getting up, goals to strive for, doing something for someone else. God's purpose is a reminder God's got a plan for you. Dream bigger than your own petty goals. I love the bigger fire on max whatever it is, lottery tickets. Just so you know, I don't buy lottery tickets. But there's the guy on there, and he's the, you know, he's the, the bigify coach. He wants the lady in the, the little cafe to dream big and to think bigger. So it's not just Jane going on holidays. It's not just Jane going to a lake. It's Jane's lake. Let God bigify your dreams. Let God do something extraordinary through you. It's okay to ask the question, hey, I, I realize I got to go to work, I got bills to pay, I got a family to take care of, I got this, I got that, all that stuff. But in the midst of all of that stuff, what is God saying to you about significance for the kingdom? Not personal significance, but doing significance for the kingdom. Whether it's where you're at work or where you're at school or if God decides to do something else for you, that you're willing to do that, that there's greater purpose and meaning in our lives that we're dreaming for something bigger and better. Okay? So that's, stand with me. Stand with me, please. What I want to do is, is just plant in your heart this desire for God to do something wonderful and purposeful in your life. This is not to say that you don't have significance now. But it's in all of the things, the day-to-day -day stuff that you deal with, that you would just sense a greater calling for God to do something through that, and bigger through that, and more impactful through that. And understanding that the road there is sometimes very difficult, but God is always thinking about others. It shouldn't be just, well, I want to win a lottery ticket because it would make my life comfortable and I could quit work. If we wanted to get a lottery ticket or win a lottery ticket, maybe I could take $40 million and I could take 39,900,000 and feed somebody hungry in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And not just think of what better car I could drive. I, others. If God is speaking to you about doing something, it's not to elevate you or to make you feel self-important or give you status. Don't be a Joseph. It's about helping others. Let's pray.